In our latest podcast episode, we speak with Leslie Barry, the founder of Exponentially, where he uses the Google developed method for de-risking innovation and shortening product development cycles called pretotyping. In this super practical episode, we talk about the origins of pretotyping and why it's different to prototyping, key pretotyping techniques and how you can use them to test a hypothesis before you build the product the ethics of customer experimentations, and also best practices for product testing using pretotyping, and stories from the field, when to use this technique, and more importantly, when not to. We also talk about the future of pretotyping, how you can even pretotype the pretotype and start to use this methodology in your own customer research and get buy-in from teams to de-risk innovation. Now, Leslie's really got a lot of experience in this area. He's been working in the innovation space for over a decade. He's headed innovation at ThoughtWorks and Sportsbet. He's also built four of his own startups. He sold two of them and he guest lectures on experimentation and pretotyping at Stanford. To date, he's trained over 800 pretotypers and 150 startup and scale-up founders around the world. He's also saved organizations over 25 million by not building the wrong it. I hope you enjoy this episode with Leslie Barry. Leslie Barry, it is so good to have you today on the Naked Ambition podcast. I'm really excited about this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Fiona, and really excited to be here today and have a chat with you. Beautiful. So let's just start off talking about mm. prototyping. What is it, Leslie? So it's not a typo. Um, it's pre-prototyping. So we often get, you know, you say prototyping and it's like, what's that? So the first question to get that out the way is, what's the difference between prototyping and prototyping? A prototype is trying to answer the question, can we do this or can we make this thing? And the answer is, it's 2022. Yes, we can basically make everything. The, the question is redundant. A prototype is trying to figure out, should we do this in the first place? So how do we know if a customer wants the way we're trying to solve the problem and if this is the best solution for solving a customer problem. And the way we do that is hypothesis-driven testing, which basically just tries to get data over opinion. And data is a customer taking a measurable action to see if they will use our solution. So we simulate the end solution in a very structured way, running experiments, we get the data, run multiple experiments and see if customers want it. It's pretty straightforward. Um, complex in the doing and the scaling, of course, um, but that's it in, the, in a nutshell. So the should we over the can we is really interesting there. How did the technique itself come about? Um, well, I didn't make it up, which is good news. Otherwise, it would go nowhere. Um, so there's a guy called Alberto Savoya, um, who was one of the early engineers at Google. And yeah, he did the usual thing, worked for Google, went and started a successful business. And then Larry Page called him one day and said, come back and help us solve this rapid experimentation problem. And Alberta put a team together at Google and they created this method called pretotyping. He pretotyped it with a PDF book to see if anybody cared, of course. Um, fast forward a few years, um, he's written a book on it called The Right It. Um, he teaches us at Stanford um, uh, as a technique and they've refined it over years. And then I've been working with Alberta since around 2016 quite closely. Um, just to scale it out and industrialize it. So, you know, we know it's easy to run experiments, uh, relatively easy. It's really difficult to do it at enterprise scale with the complexities of the real world. Um, yeah, so that's where it started. 
Yeah, so interesting. Talk to us about the real need for this because you've touched on something really interesting there about, you know, inside organisations yeah. where it's much harder to do this. We're not just operating, you know, I mean, even in the lab environment or in the mm-hmm. startup environment, mm-hmm. it has its own layer of complexity. Yeah. What is the need for this, do you think, right now in our organisations? My perfect target customer is frustrated innovators. And innovate, anyone is trying to make change, not necessarily the um, innovation kind of title. And where it started was my personal frustration. Well, I was working at a company driving innovation and you just can't get anything done because you're constantly arguing about, you know, is this the best idea relative to other ideas and how do you get it onto the roadmap and all these kinds of blockers. So I was looking for a structured method that is more sciencey than guessing, basically, and generating some sort of data and experimental data and that's where it started so the reason i do it is it sits nicely between so i don't come along and say prototyping is fantastic throw everything else out what we're saying is how do we accelerate that process going from problem discovery you know whether using design thinking human centered design agile all these things but from problem discovery through to validation before you go off and build anything and the validation piece i think is done really badly currently and this method Start, you know, solves that problem in a structured way. It's not the holy grail. It's not the only way to do this. It's the best way I've found to do it at scale in companies to shift the conversation from, there's two ways to sell something in like, an organization. The first way is you go, I've got this awesome idea and I leverage my charismatic personality and I smile a lot and I make up fake spreadsheets and business cases and, and I eventually bully my way onto the roadmap. Um, the second way to do it is to go, I've run experiments, I've got data, and I come back to you and I say, I've run 10 experiments, we've spoken, we've got in front of a thousand customers, we've measured the following thing, this is what we thought good looks like, it's better than what we thought, can we consider this? That's a much more rational conversation to have and a much more powerful conversation to have. Talk us through a couple of examples of that. What are some of the techniques that you use to do that? Because that's so powerful. There, I've run 10 experiments. I've got in front of a 1,000 customers. I've got the evidence that you need. I've yeah. earned my place on the roadmap. Can you talk that's us through right. some of the techniques that achieve those kind of results? So there's nine sort of um, prototyping techniques. And, you know, they're not the exclusive in list, final list of all ways to run experiments. But what we do is we go in and we teach people how to run these. Um, in the absence of teaching people how to run experiments, what happens? You go uh, run an experiment, they spin up Qualtrics or SurveyMonkey or something, and they, they run a, an opinion poll. And what gets, comes back from that? Opinions, it's not data. It's useful as insights, but it's not data. So the simple, simplest technique is what we call the fake door. And a fake door is essentially, um, think of uh, any web page that you've been to in, in its simplest form where there's an offer, um, they ask you, are you interested? Leave them an email address and after the email address, it's like, sorry, yeah, we'll put you on the VIP list or the wait list or something to that effect. So effectively simulating the end result very quickly um, and getting an initial tiny piece of data, very small sample size, but it accelerates your brain to the end result of what this could look like and what the offer would be for the customer. Now there's risk associated with that at enterprise level. Do you want to pretend you've got a product when you don't? Mm-hmm. Um, there are circumstances where you can absolutely do that and, and get some early insights. And there's a lot of nuances around it. Um, right through to something we use a lot is the mechanical Turk, which a lot of people are familiar with, which is using humans to simulate technology. Why? Mm-hmm. 
in most organizations, we have a bias towards action, a bias towards making things, okay, and keeping people busy. But that's a you don't want to do that. What you want to do is go simulate the end results that the customer perceives it as a real service, which it is. You get humans to fill in spreadsheets or send texts or capture dates or whatever it is, um, and then deliver the service to the customer. So Mechanical Turk just uses humans instead of technology. And a third good one is, and more complex, is the YouTube prototype. So what that is, is using video to demonstrate a complex service offering. Because often, like the Google Glass is an ancient example, but very good one, um, a complex AI kind of product that creates these experiences, it's a billion dollar investment. So how do you test that? Well, you show the end user experience. You show what the user will feel like or the benefit they will get as opposed to what the product is. Um, so those are just three quick examples. Mm. So the YouTube one, is there a difference between that and explainer videos and using explainer videos to test the desirability of something? Uh, it depends on the framing. So the homework with mm. prototyping is you, you figure out what you're trying to prove or disprove um, as a hypothesis. Then you go, what percent of what customers would would you would consume that or would you solve the problem for? Mm. Um, which helps us think up front what good and bad looks like. And then an explainer video could be the, in the form of, you know, I don't know, I've got a computer mouse and um, this is how you use it, et cetera. That's not really testing, like getting any data from you because it's just telling mm. you as the thing. A YouTube prototype, for example, would go, uh, we've just launched this amazing mouse and, you know, it's blue and yellow and it's $50 and it does this wonderful thing and it massages your hands or whatever, making up nonsense. Um, mm. Click here um, to get on the shortlist. So it's calling yeah. for action and mm -hmm. it's simulating the end experience. So that the call to action and the fact that you're getting data is the difference between just an explainer and a YouTube, for example. Yeah, of course. So that call to action is really the crux of so much of this as well to be able to prove or disprove a hypothesis yeah. so we are right if you know we get this many people click through in that example yeah. give their yeah. email sign up pre-order those sorts of things Do yeah some. really yeah. interesting yeah. can we reverse back you said something really interesting about the fake door prototype mm. and the challenges that that larger enterprise organizations because i know this is your specialty is doing this yeah. in that complex environment so we've had a situation like that before where an organization didn't want to test something because it wasn't built. Yes. You know, how how have you found ways around that and what are ways that you can do that fake door or other pre-dotypes when, which is fair enough. I think organizations mm. don't want to be false, you know, go out to 2,000 real customers and pretend that they have something that they don't. Yes. Yeah. Um, the devil is always in the detail, but in examples, we've done this in B2B and B2C, by the way. So I love talking about mm. consumer products. Uh, we yeah. do a lot of business-to-business prototyping, which is more complex because the risks are higher because you've got less people to test on. Um, but a good example that's public is um, I did some work with RACQ a few years ago, and the, the Australian Financial Review uh, yeah, did an interview with them, and he spoke about this. They were thinking of a product called Mobility as a Service at the time, which was end-to-end -end transport management for consumers. So if you wake up in the morning, you get an Uber, you get a tram, you get a train, like trying to manage that process. In Thoughtland, which we talk about a lot, where opinions live, um, it sounds like a great idea. In reality, do people want it? So put my opinion aside, the fake door there could be um, 
buying, uh, setting, simulating a, a web page going like we've got the mobility as a service, this existing service, um, and there's a call to action about signing up so that you could, we can get you onto the service as, as an example. It's a high quality, believable prototype. We get it in front of a small sample size of only 100 people, because we're not testing statistical significance. We're looking for best case scenario. Will somebody care? And they ran the, they ran the prototype and they got some initial data out of this. Um, it was on brand. So they were really brave to actually run these experiments. It depends on the risk appetite of the organization. But there's no deception going on there because you're allowed to run experiments if your intent is to execute if the experiment is successful, because you don't want to waste people's lives and time and money and resources. And can you execute that? Of course. You plug those services together and you can execute it. So you're not, so that's a way of running a fake door, um, taking care of are you being ethical, are you respecting the customer? You know, of course they'll be slightly disappointed, but the trade-off is do you want them slightly disappointed or do you want to waste a year building something nobody wants? There's always yeah. that. I think yeah. I've meandered there a bit, but that's an example of a fake door. Yeah, yeah. Or just let them down by not giving them something that maybe they yeah. really need. Yep. Um, I, I want to touch on something you've mentioned, ethics there as well, because there is another yes. prototype <laughs> that is known. I think it's the imposter, but I might be getting it wrong, yeah. where you actually put a product. So you might go into Ikea and you put yeah. your own product yeah. Yeah. on the shelf where there are sort of similar products. Is it that the imposter? Am I getting this one right? That's the infiltrator. Um, the infiltrator, yes. A, Talk to me on. about your feeling about that one. Is that one that you use or is that one that's a little bit, is it a little bit more spicy? Talk to us about how that one works. There's two questions in there. So I'll get to the mm. infiltrator. The first question is, how do you handle um, ethics and risk and, and running experiments on people? Mm. Um, and the answer is, I've debated this fiercely with, we did some work with Australian National University. We've got a short document from Stanford University around this. And the what you're trying to do is you always want to respect the customer. So you want to make sure mm. that you, are, you, you have a choice. Okay, In the real world, it's, there's gray. So what you have a choice, either run zero experiments and learn nothing, or you run experiments and take a little bit of risk and learn something. When you run experiments on live customers, you you do it in a way that respects their time and um, you know the way they're engaging with you as a customer. But they will be slightly disappointed in the process, and you need a way to let them down and manage that. And it's people don't mind being experimented on in the real world. They feel part of the process of learning and creating new things. And there's ways to put to, to do that. So we're not choosing between you know never ever. Uh, run an experiment and run an experiment. It's not that. There's a place in the mm. middle that you're trying to trying to figure out. With the infiltrator, um, it comes up because I use it as an example a lot in the training, is a bunch of startups snuck into IKEA and hang up their product on the shelf and pretend it was an IKEA product and then intercepted customers at the checkout and got the dates and meaning customers wanted this. It's not illegal to do that. They're going to throw you out the shop mm. maybe, but it's not illegal, okay? The conversation like here after that becomes... We've tested this on your customers in your environment and your customers will buy this. Would you like one? Mm. Very powerful conversation to have. Mm -hmm. Now, in the real enterprise world, we don't do that, of course. Yeah. But if you think of, inter of, of the infiltrator as, a, as how do you access your network of partners, it becomes a very different conversation. Mm. So if you are an insurance company and you own a bank you can, and you're looking for customers for a new product that's banking related, go to your bank and run the experiment yeah. there. If you are an energy utility company, you've got hundreds of partners doing different things. You can go and run experiments through your partner network. 
Um, so there are ways to sort of, in inverted commas, sneak that product in, um, but you just do it in a structured way. So don't just don't don't upset anybody and don't break the law. Basically, is what you're trying not to do. Great summary. I do love that thinking around the partner. So mm. it's just using the same principles but applying it to that enterprise enterprise level business model. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. interesting. So interesting. Um, so you've talked us through a few of the main prototyping techniques. Any other use cases that you haven't touched on that you think are really interesting? Um, I think the uh, there's a few examples. There's, uh, for example, business to business always comes up. So how do you run experiments mm. B2B when you've got three or four customers only? Well, because we want data and data is skin in the game, which is someone giving you more than just a nod and a smile, if you're presenting a new product or a potential new product to a customer, and let's say you've got one of the four Australian banks is your customer. How do you mm -hmm. test that? Well, what, come to the hypothesis, um, mock it up as if it's real and get something that everybody hates to give you, which is time and a meeting. Everybody hates meetings, okay? Mm -hmm. It's okay as your first experiment to book a meeting and see if you can get people to, get to, to come to that meeting and present them with this offer and then create a bunch of follow-up downstream complexity around that product or service without actually building it up front, okay? And sometimes with B2B, you have to have a little bit more, more developed than, you know, we're not startups, okay? We're not doing small things. So there's different ways to and techniques to run these experiments. But think of what is someone going to give you that isn't just a nod and a smile? It could be a letter of intent. It could be a commitment to something. It could be, oh, another great one is escalate from meeting to a design session, like mm -hmm. just escalate the amount of time and effort involved from the potential past partner that's requesting this. And you'll very quickly see where the drop off point is or if there is interest. And those are very strong leading indicators that someone interested in your solution. Mm. So interesting. That's a good lesson for any service-based businesses out there as well. I yeah. think the, probably you talked about time being the thing that people don't like to give you there's probably one other and that would be money yes. are there other examples have you got some examples of things that you've done as well where presumably that's that's one of the main experiments is actually getting people to pay a certain amount of cash in some of these prototypes is that um or actually i actually um strongly discourage going to cash because everyone goes straight to cash so mm. the first experiment i think when i say experiment people think a b testing and they think, yeah. great, we want to test price. But then you're long, long past the problem of experimentation. So, you know, when do you run experiments? No, when don't you run experiments? If you know how to build a bridge, don't run experiments, go and build a bridge. You know how to yeah. execute things. So don't waste your time running experiments. You run experiments when you're going, we have a problem that we know customers have, and there are multiple possible solutions to that problem. How do we know which one the customer wants? Then you run mm -hmm. an experiment. So we're trying to answer the question, does the solution, is this the best solution to solve the customer problem? Customers don't care about us or our business or our sparkling personalities. They care about how do we solve the problem for them in the quickest way for the best, for the cheapest amount of money. Hmm. So we, that's what we're trying to answer with this method. We're not trying to answer how much will they pay for it. So sometimes you want, you have to ask for some money. Otherwise, all you're testing is do people want free stuff? And you don't yep. test that because the answer is yes. They want free stuff, okay? Mm. Um, so pricing, we bump down to experiment three, four, five, or six. We, we, yep. we, yeah, we don't focus there. Secondly, 
you don't run like a fake door experiment and ask for money because that's illegal. Okay. So mm-hmm. if you have, there's a thing called an, like a, like an, uh, an imposter where you have a particular product or service and you want to test scale or reach of that product. So you have something that exists and you're testing some attribute of that. Then you can potentially ask for money, but you've got to be, you've got to comply with any other thing you would do as a business relating to taking money, you know, mm. making sure that you are storing the data correctly and all these, these good things. So as soon as you inject money, you create complexity. Mm. So we try and avoid that if, if at all possible. Yeah. That's really interesting. I think particularly the second part of that, because it was more about cash for commitment rather than price discovery in yeah. this instance. But yes, yes, I think they're good things to think about in, even in terms of cash for commitment comes with its own yes. complexity and maybe is actually you're running down a you know a path that isn't even necessary to get the evidence that you need to make the next decision. So yeah. it's super clarifying. Um, amazing. Tell us about the work that you're doing specifically at Exponentially. You've touched on it, but, but tell mm. us about what you guys are doing over there. Okay. Um, so we've been going about five years now which is great mm-hmm. staying in business each year is always awesome <laughs> um and our niche has become rapid experimentation in the enterprise so we talked we've spoken a lot about prototyping but prototyping is just a method and a technique to run experiments at scale and what we've done is wrap that around with okay so what do you do effectively from when an idea comes into an organization until it's validated is where we play and where we we've got some expertise and I'm a very practical, hands-on, let's get the thing done kind of, that's, that's our approach. And mm. I'm trying to reduce the complexity because you can make innovation extraordinarily complex in organizations and it becomes chaos and nonsense, okay, frankly. So what are the simple steps? Like get ideas, prioritize ideas, test those ideas and take action on the results. Like that's all you're really trying to do. Um, and that's what we do. So over time, we've evolved away from, you know, just prototyping training and rapid sprints through to managing and looking after that whole process and supporting customers to scale that. What we're not trying to do is go run a fun training course on prototyping. It is fun and it is a few days and we do it well, but that's great. Lots of people do training and we can have, there's other ways to have fun. What we're trying to do is very quickly transfer knowledge into companies to let the people on the ground run experiments at scale. And our objective, so for example, one of our clients' KPIs is Run a 100 experiments in a year. Go from zero to 100 experiments in a year. Easy to say, very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Because an experiment means something that you put in front of customers, simulating an end result that you can measure. And there's a huge mind shift that happens there. And, and like all good things, it needs people, it needs process, it needs tools, which we've built um, around us. So that's what we do. That's where our focus is. Mm. Talk to me about some of the blockers to doing this. So you're operating in enterprise. Yeah. You know, yeah. we know it sounds like you're you're eliminating some of that unnecessary complexity that maybe comes mm-hmm. with over consulting on this sort mm-hmm. of thing, mm-hmm. um, and bringing it back to the first principles of really what do you need to do to get results. Mm-hmm. So, so what what goes wrong, or what are some of the things that stand in your way of getting this done? When there's lip service around innovation and failure, you can read any board pack and it'll say innovation 27 times in it, Yeah, for example. That's fine mm-hmm. and it's, that's good. But it is a disconnect between that and actual, an actual tolerance in the organization for innovation, for experimentation. When people hear failure, we talk about failure a lot, like 
99 out of 100 experiments fail. So you need, that's why you need to run hundreds of experiments. They, we know these numbers and we've heard them forever. But we're not talking about like fail or die or failure is good. Failure is bad, okay? But mm. how do we contain the risk around failure and reframe that into turning um, create failure is time to data. So how do we quickly learn what customers want? Easy to say all these things. My first engagement with customers, when it works well, the, the leadership team's on board. They've got um, experimentation, re, experiment velocity, which I made up, number of experiments you run per month. What's your experiment velocity? In the first year, you're not going to get return on innovation investment. You're not going to find unicorns, okay? What you're yeah. going to do is save money by accelerating your experimentation and eliminating poor ideas out the organization and getting focused and building and scaling that muscle so that you embed this into the organization. So when there's, to answer your question, <laughs> um, when the leaders are on board with that, and you know we've got some amazing people we work with where the leader stands up and said like, uh, I just want to congratulate Leslie this month. He's the biggest failure in the company and he saved us half a million dollars. Like that's an mm, amazing message. Mm. Okay? That's a very powerful message. Um, where this doesn't work is where people think we have to do innovation. We're in trouble. Um, what you've done so far hasn't worked. Let's do some quick training. We'll do a quick sprint. And then everyone goes back to day jobs. We won't resource the experimentation team appropriately to build the muscle. This is just like everything else. It's a rigorous, boring process. It needs to be done repeatedly, supported by the right tools and reported back into the organization. Those are two examples of where it works and where it doesn't mm. work. Yeah. yeah, I love you coining the phrase experiment velocity. I think that starting from experiment velocity is great. Um, yeah, so interesting. Okay, so talking about, I sort of want to stay on this of how organizations overcome that. So you've talked mm. about, you know, obviously it's great in our field and, you know, for all the leaders that are watching this out there, it's great if you work in one of those organizations and you've been hired to do innovation where mm. the appetite is there, you know, the mindsets are there, the language is already developed and that's a more mature organization mm. as well. Not to mention, mm. I think what you're talking, the subtext there is there is money to invest yes. in the time that it takes yeah. to fail those kinds of experiments. So what about for people listening where that, that isn't the case? What are mm. some of the things that they can do to, to keep on moving? Because it's not yeah. that binary, is it? There's yeah, not you're no, either there or you're not. not. There's a big yeah. gray area in the middle. So yeah. how do we help them kind of or how do you help them sort of move up the curve? So we've designed this very specifically to be lightweight on the people in the organisation. So first of all, just start. So prototype the prototype. And you can, we can yak on about experimentation and innovation till cows come home. Just do it, okay? And what that means is, um, why do I start with experimentation? So a good, a good example could be Australian National University. So they wanted to create the innovation capability during COVID, international students. It was 2020, not, not fun. So... The logical place to start seems to be you design the post the process, you get the resources, you figure it all out, um, you then get the ideas, and then you go and get a business case, and then you run experiments potentially or not, and then you build products quickly. Where we start is the other way around. We go, what you want to do is create a signal for organization that what Leslie and all of us are saying is true. Okay. So create evidence. So how do we run 
one experiment. Why start with experiments? Because it means we've got permission to test things. Because if you don't have permission to test, you're not going to learn something. So don't even waste your time. So innovation equals experimentation equals growth. So start mm -hmm. with experimentation. Run one experiment, one simple one that is most likely they all fail the first one, but it fail. When I say fail, you spent a hundred bucks and a week's worth of time. The way this is structured, okay. And then you go, great. What did we learn? Well, we learned that we blocked by, um, no offense to legal and risk. Love you very much, but we blocked by legal, which says you can't do this thing. Why did they block us? Because they don't trust the process. Okay, let's go and explain the process to them. Work with them. Train them up on the process. Um, and listen to them and see if there's an op a way to learn. So what have we done? Now we've got the experimentation team and the legal team on board. Then we try and launch an experiment and marketing comes back, which they always do as they should to protect the brand and say, it's off brand. What are we doing? Or, you know, it's not perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. We're running an experiment. What's the least amount of branding and marketing we're going to apply to this to get the experiment out the door? Now you've got marketing. In other words, what I'm saying is just, start and slowly and incrementally run these. Now, when I say experiment, I don't mean, just to be clear, I'm not talking about $100,000 and six months of building something. I'm talking about one week of figuring out what you need to do, run the experiment the next week on 100 customers and get the result, and it'll cost you $100 to $200. We've run just over 1,000 experiments with our customers, real numbers, not made up marketing nonsense. And 95% of those we can get out the door in two weeks for under hundred bucks. That's the way mm. this is designed. So it's light touch on the people. You don't have to recruit a team of 20 people to do this. It's your existing people and we're not adding a huge load onto the day job. That's how, that's how you start. Mm. Test like the muscle, see if it works. Yeah. Yeah. I like the, the concept of just finding rather than second guessing where those blockers are going to be or getting in a room and saying, you know, oh, our organization never lets this happen. And, and that kind of, yes. you know, this is why we can't, why we can't. And how do we mm. overcome that mm. by, you doing know, it. it's almost just doing. Yeah, exactly. Like just yeah. show the progress rather mm. than and push the boundaries and test the boundaries because in mm. some cases some of that may be overestimated you know mm. and what department mm. is going to support or what department's going to block and in mm. some cases it might be underestimated so and, yeah. and just to touch on that just to add to briefly um don't make assumptions about who the blockers are a hundred percent of the time the blockers become the enablers you've got yeah. people sitting in the organization that have been there forever in yeah. legal and finance and marketing and IT and all over the place. And we make assumptions about, we, we tend to box them and put them into little boxes. Yeah. Everyone's got ideas. Everybody's mm -hmm. humans. Everybody understands organization. Everyone's doing their best and trying to do the best possible job that they can. Like create a platform and a process to listen to them. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's um, unbelievably true. And I think, you know, it's, when people are being blockers, often there is a good reason for that. And in some Absolutely. cases, we, we need to listen to that and learn mm. from that. And that's what you're mm. advocating as well. Mm. Now, one of um, uh, Joe Nicholas, who was on this podcast, is is one of our favourite ever sponsors of a project. And she was chief risk officer at Latitude when yes. she drove a lot of that internal innovation, which I think yeah. really is saying something. You know, it's not the role, yeah. it's the person. Yes. Um, and you've Absolutely. got to find those advocates internally. Amazing. This is so interesting, Leslie. Um, 
Yeah, let's talk about where this is not appropriate because I think yeah. that's something that comes up a lot. And you do you mentioned that at the beginning. You said it's not a panacea. It's not a, you know the fix all for absolutely everything. So where should people not be prototyping? Financial services, like don't don't <laughs> don't take money from people or credit card information or any personal information or, or store personally identifiable information or you know, just stay on the right side of the law first of all. So if it's illegal, don't do it, okay? If you're going to, if there's a, so, so the, the parts where, if you, as I said earlier, if you don't need to run an experiment, don't. Don't waste your time mm. running an experiment. So the way to filter that is very easy, like easy to go, if you run this experiment, are we going to act on the results? And that sounds like a simple question, but it's a very good question because most of the time we get carried away running experiments and we go, the data says, yes, we need to make it. And then we don't do it. Or the data says mm. no. And then we don't stop the project because the boss loves the project. Okay. Yeah. The, 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 other, the other way to filter it is like the gut check. Uh, so just obviously run it through risk and legal and do those things. Those are the rational things to do. But the gut check is like, should we run an experiment on these people? So we had an example during COVID where we're testing some, some techniques on international students. Um, now, these kids are sitting locked up in their rooms in different time zones for six hours staring at Zoom calls. You don't run experiments on them about mental health, for example. Or you know, mm -hmm. That's a, an extreme example, but it's that kind of check. Like, are you going to hurt somebody or harm somebody by this or slightly disappoint them? If you're going to slightly disappoint them, that's okay. They can live with it. We're learning. Um, so don't do it then. Um, yeah. So those would be kind of the examples. Um, you can do it. You can run experiments in the physical world or the digital world, but just be respectful and, and yeah, check yourself. Mm. The gut check's a good one as well because it's like, do we is do we really even need to run an experiment? You know, in some cases, can we just build this thing? Yes. I mean, are we yeah. even ready? Do we even have the evidence somewhere else that we can gather yeah, to do well, this? Right so, there to add on that is, yeah. is thank you for that, which is a great question which people, I coach people to ask and it's hard to do, is I don't, you can go to some part of the organisation, there will be mythology in it which says, you know, we can't do, this is an absolute no-go area because the CEO 10 years ago tried this and everything exploded and it didn't work. That's nonsense, okay, mm. <laughs> frankly, mm. because mm. the question is, like, if we want to do this, do we have data, to, to your point, do we have data, a number somewhere that says in our market for us at this time right now, should we do this? If mm. you have data, go and do it. Don't run an experiment. But don't confuse strong opinion with data. Because people can be very forceful and sound like they know what they're doing. And it's okay to go one level deeper and go like, I hear what you're saying. Show me the number that says that. And, and mm -hmm. that can be, yeah, people can get to the backs up around that. And that's fine. It's okay. I, I care about your feelings. I care more about not wasting six months building something nobody wants. Yeah. That data over opinions, I think it's such a strong one. That's part of the prototyping manifesto, isn't it? The yeah, that's it. Just Alberto's don't try it at home. It doesn't anyone's. work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> we used to actually have that Alberto's um, poster printed out uh, in our offices at one stage. And I remember that one of the first one things on it is... Um, don't finish what you've started as well. Yes. And it was always yes. the biggest talking point with people. Obviously, with everything that we're talking about here, it's it's everything in context. Yes, and that's why course. this is so important, of course. Yeah. Um, so that's a really good example. So we've talked about when this is not appropriate. Tell me about the future of 
pedotyping as a technique um, and also as a movement because it is a little bit of a movement in itself. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch over the last few years. Um, I started this business as a prototype and then it turned into a business. And through this, we've started like a Slack channel. So we've got, and I'll send you all the links um, for this stuff. We've got mm -hmm. like 750 people from around the world, um, professors and all sorts of very clever people that understand experimentation. But it's, mm. it, it has actually become a little bit of a movement. It's, it's not a, so it's not like a lean startup kind of level thing, but it, it's one of those things that it's not a, like a, 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 like a fanboy kind of movement. It's more like a, once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. It's so obvious that you should do this, that you should run an experiment. And it's so easy to do. And it's so straightforward to do that people just embrace it and start doing it. So you have that mm. aha moment very, very quickly. So we've done a lot of work around just positioning it as this experimentation technique and you know what is the future of it so i uh, spend a lot of time with alberto and he's focusing on upstream which is around the message of apex innovation so how do you um differentiate yourself as an innovator by running experimentation at scale and he's also got a strong focus on um uh the math of product success which is this is great, but when you're saying there's an XYZ hypothesis, how do you know what good looks like? How do you test that? What does it look like? So because he's an engineer, he's got a Bayesian analysis, um, I probably pronounced that wrong, um, approach to this, um, and he's trying to keep that simpler. In my mind, what is the future? But the future is like, how do you uh, use the, this thinking? Because it's a, it's a framework of thinking as opposed to you know just the methodology. How do you use this thinking upstream around innovation to filter out poor ideas quickly or rapidly, which is the name of our tool, by the way. And then mm -hmm. how do you um, use it downstream to make sure that you're measuring this in a structured way? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so that's where it's at at the moment. It's been around for 10 years or so and, and starting to gain a bit of momentum. And, you know, I'm not stuck on any methodology. The one that works and gets the results for customers is what matters. It's delivering yeah. real value and accelerating your process that's what you want beautiful amazing such a nice way to wrap us up and you touched on a couple of things there as well which we will put in the show notes so the maths of product success and those youtube videos are great that alberto puts out and we will link as well if you're happy to send us some of those it would be yes. fabulous that brings me to to where can people find you what are some of the resources they can access or how can they get in touch with you if they're interested in doing this okay um so I'm on LinkedIn and Twitter, like everybody. Exponentially.com is a good place to go. We've got a bunch of resources about what is prototyping, access to all the videos, resources, links, just to learn about this as a method. Um, there's a downloadable PDF on the rapid experimentation framework, which is that um, prioritize, experiment, and act piece. Mm -hmm. We've also built a software tool called Rapidly, um, mm -hmm. where you can go to testrapidly.com. Um, and this is not an idea management platform. It's more about when you're running experiments at scale in the enterprise, it gets very complicated very quickly. Mm -hmm. So how do you relate ideas to experiments? How do you decide which ideas to pursue when it's valid? How do you manage the work that the team does in between? And we've built the Lean Canvas and prototyping methodology into the tool. Um, so we've got a bunch of customers that are using that. If you want to learn or chat to us about prototyping, there's the Slack community that we've got that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll give you links to that. And then Alberta's got a book called The Right It, which mm -hmm. you can get. There's also a PDF 
book of about 80 pages around prototyping. There's a whole bunch of resources around this. Amazing. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Leslie, for joining us. I'm sure that's been really enlightening for a lot of people and no doubt you've encouraged a few people to get started on prototyping. So thank you so much. I hope so. And remember, the best way to do it is just prototype the prototyping. So thank you for your time today. I've really enjoyed the chat with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Naked Ambition podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did like what you heard, please do subscribe wherever you get your pods or even better, leave us a rating and a comment. And of course, if you have any questions about anything we discussed or you're keen to do something similar in your organisation, don't hesitate to get in touch with us here at Naked Ambition or even drop me a line, Fiona Triarca, via a direct message on LinkedIn. I'd love to hear from you.